But we're good now. Thank you guys. Well, Sorry about that. at least we have some interaction in the chat right now. Thank you. This is an early podcast too. I don't think I've ever done one at 12 o'clock. So, <laughs> so this is a first for me. Yeah. But music's amazing. I mean, I'm not going to go into that whole thing again. Right. But let's talk geology. I mean. Well, let me preface that with this. I'm a geology student. I do not have a degree yet, but in the next coming years, I'll have a bachelor's in geology. So you're working towards that? Yes. Nice. How long have you been working towards this? Uh, too long. <laughs> Whoa. So you've been. So this is a passion of yours? Yes. How? I've always been a rock hound when I was a kid. I was that kid that always pick up rocks wherever I went, put them in my pockets. And then if my parents didn't clean my pockets out, the washing machine sounded like a rock tumbler. <laughs> All right. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. That's crazy. That. Again, never knew that about you. Mm -hmm. Always been like, hey, there's Kevin that plays keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, what do you want to know? Well, let's start off with, there are so many questions. Um, so one of the biggest things I have a question of is rock formations. Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest heated debates that I've always been accompanied to was, let's see if you can help me with this, is the weathering of the Sphinx. Do you know about this? Yes. So. Egyptologists say that the weathering of the Sphinx is due to uh, the Nile flood flooding over, I can't remember the exact year or date. That's what Egyptologists say. But actual geologists and people that do know more about the weathering of rocks say that it's due to rainfall of constant, like a constant rainfall. So there's two time period gaps there. Mm -hmm. Egyptologists say one thing mm -hmm. and um, the geologists are saying another. Obviously... I'm basing off my facts off of a geologist because that you can tell, like literally, if you see a rock that gets hit by water, mm -hmm. certain things are going to happen to it. Yeah. Can you explain some of the techniques that happen when when water erosion happens to rocks? Well, this is really interesting. Uh, I, I saw Joe Rogan, a couple Joe Rogan podcasts. He had geologists on, and they actually talked about this. What was his name? Um, oh, I don't remember. I know he was a. Uh, I think I saw that same one you're talking about. Mm -hmm. He's a uh, he. Uh, fuck, I wish I could remember his name now. But anyways. Yeah, well, if you can search Joe Rogan, experienced geologist, and that should pop up. Yeah. But, um, they actually talked Randall about Carlson? this. Randall Carlson? Huh? Randall Carlson? I think it was another guy. That was the old guy that, uh, that he was a student. The guy that we're talking about, he was a student of Carlson. Oh, uh, Graham Hancock? Is that his name? Mm. No. It's a, it was a newer podcast. Oh, okay. It was a newer one. Yeah. And uh, they actually talked about this. Egyptologists are—they don't—they don't like to uh, accept information that doesn't fit their narrative. Yeah. Because uh, they think dynastic Egypt is the one that built all this stuff. And clearly, a ge if you get any geologist, any geology student, I can go there and show and see. Like, no, this is erosion due to uh, rainfall, as you said. And the last time there was rainfall in that area, according to the rock record. That would cause that erosion was 9,000 BC. That's a long time ago. Yes. Not counting the time period of what their erosion story yeah, is. Yeah, they, they're claiming it's more around like, like Six, what, 2,500 BC? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's 7,000 or five, yes, about 7,000 years difference. So, how do you <clears throat> feel about them not portraying the truth correctly? Like, is that troubling not, to you yeah it is troubling because they, they're not true scientists it doesn't fit their narrative and they don't want things to change and but it's slowly changing because they also claim that 
that was in the original head of the Sphinx. Yeah, I've, I've heard that one and, as well. And Egyptologists have slowly warmed up to that and finally accepted it. They think uh, geologists, or yeah, that geologist had talked about. It, he he thinks it was actually just a lion head, okay, a lioness, because there's a, a lioness god in their mythology. And when that time in 9000 BC, um, it lined up with the Leo constellation. Yeah. And I remember the way that they, because uh, they explained some of the way the constellations work is like it's due to a, a thing on the earth called uh, precession mm-hmm. over a certain period of time. Yeah, I actually wanted to talk about that. <laughs> well, let's do it, man. Let's talk about it. Okay. Let's so see. if we're talking now about how the constellations are going through, um, right now we are currently in the age of Pisces, correct? I'm not sure. If I, don't, I'm, I don't know much about astronomy. If I'm if I'm correct, I'm, I think I might be a little off. But we were entering into we're entering into Aquarius, but we were right now into the age of Pisces. And I love the way like have, I know you've seen it, uh, old school movie back in the day when I was a conspiracy theorist, uh, Zeitgeist, mm-hmm. and they talk about the way that we probably followed the stars instead, and we wrote stories accompanied to that. So, like, instead of us writing a story about Jesus, we wrote a story about two fish, which is just, like, Right, Pisces. and the, the first real Messiah was the sun. Yeah, I there you go. that was the first deity we worshipped. Yeah, you can tell what gives you life. Like, mm-hmm. if you have a plant there and you never give it sun, it's going to die. Mm-hmm. You, as a human, without any right. religious background, anything like that, can see that that is how life Right, and then if you go away from the uh, equator, you you notice noticeable changes in seasons, and you notice in winter the sun starts going away, like it's it rises uh, lower and lower into the sky. The days are shorter, and uh, you know it's colder, and people kind of flip out about that. That's why there's a uh, you know harvest like festivals and winter festivals, and uh, because they they don't want the sun to go away. They, yeah, they okay. knew that the sun. They're, they're reliant on the sun. Yeah. And there were those stories, right, where they're like, let's, I'm, I guess I'm going a little more into detail, but they're just like, we have to make sure that we have our uh, offerings or like make mm-hmm. sure that the sun will come back again. Yeah, exactly. Not knowing the pattern of how the earth works. Mm-hmm. They're just like, some of them were like, let's make sacrifices. Some right. of them were like, we have to offer a certain amount to the land or something. Mm-hmm. You know, there was always something different. Right. And then if you start looking into uh, the religions and uh, Christianity mainly, the winter solstice is when the sun is at the lowest point in the sky, and then for three days it doesn't rise, and three days later it starts rising again. Yeah. That sounds familiar, right? Yeah, I love that. that <laughs> that's such a great example, too, because we see that. Mm-hmm. But here's a question that uh, they debunk that. Well, a lot of people try to debunk that just that one questionnaire. How were we able to notice significant changes over three days so um they do have the test of where you put like a like a stick inside of the ground and every time the shadow cast it shadow cast at a certain location yeah, a sundial yeah exactly where in that they didn't feel that the sundial was approximately close enough to notice that change between three days mm-hmm. and the next one right well over generations i guess just word of mouth story storytelling they just for whatever reason, we're able to notice that and focus on that. And uh, they probably studied the sun more than we do just on a day-to-day basis because they were reliant on it for their harvest, their crops, their being able to hunt. We can't hunt at night. Yeah. Well, we're probably not very efficient in hunting at night. And uh, 
I'm, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure why. Just for whatever reason, they were able to notice that. See, and that that's one thing where they those skeptics will always debunk you on. Like, how can you tell? Like, just because back then isn't any different than now. Like, mm-hmm. what I want to portray is uh, we know so much from back then that we do now. Like, we learned how to tell time because of the way that the sun moves. Like, but we learned it from them. It's not like we learned it ourselves. Like, right. obviously, over time, we got better Passed at like, down this knowledge. Yeah, exactly. We learned it over time. Mm-hmm. And it's just like we weren't precise with seconds or something, maybe. But we ended up gradually learning that. Now we have milliseconds. Now we have nanoseconds. Like, we know the perfect aspect of time. Well, not perfect. But we know it better than what we did back then. Mm-hmm. So not to say that we didn't learn about all this stuff. But, I mean, over history, over time, it just... We just, like you said, we just, uh, I don't want to say like we learned it from the, our ancestors or anything, but it just was passed down mm-hmm. and it made us smarter now. So now we have this where we have all the records of what happened in the world. Like, how can you refute that? You can't be like, oh, yeah, well, you know, that guy looked pretty dumb back then. How did he know it moved up three centimeters in three days? Like. And that's another thing people tend to forget. Modern humans have been around for 200,000 years, and we haven't really changed much since then. They are just as intelligent as we are today. It's just they didn't have the knowledge, they didn't have the technology, you know, they didn't have a worldwide internet where we could share... We have a database of all knowledge in the world in our frickin' pockets. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true, right? I mean, I'm pretty sure uh, any great philosopher would have been like, dude, you guys are living in the times right now. You yeah. guys you guys know more than I would ever want to know. Mm-hmm. So, like, that that's great to know. But it's scary at the same time. Right. Because we get fed so much. I mean, again, like, we're trying to portray this certain... Mm-hmm. And it's it's good to be skeptic. It's just people don't know how to do research. Journalism 101, find three credible sources saying the exact same thing. And then it's, yeah. And then it's credible. Compared to, like, one person. Just, yeah, or one article on Facebook or yeah. whatever. And that's what's crazy, too, is because we believe, like, again, the Egyptologists have more credibility because they've been there for so long. Yeah, but it, they want to fit their narrative that dynastic Egypt built all this shit. Yeah, and that's not working no any geologist can look at a sphinx and say uh no this is this is rainfall erosion yeah, clearly you can see it yeah you could see it out here in new mexico yeah we i i'm not even like that much into geology but i, I see it mm-hmm. i can totally tell you be like that does look yeah. weird and i'm pretty sure it was made out of limestone and it, limestone is a calcium carbonate i believe and any calcium dissolves in water okay over time so yeah you can see it that's happens. why it's terrible to have shells as aquarium decorations really any type of shells yeah they and just it, erode mm-hmm. and then that calcium gets in the water fucks with your fish and it's like <laughs> right the fish just like flops over there you go you killed me you yeah. try to make me look pretty yeah, but you so killed I, me yeah anything with calcium erodes okay water basically erodes anything if, if it has the time and the energy yeah because there's different aspects of how it could erode it, right? Mm-hmm. I love the aspect of if a water sleeps into a rock and has cracks in it, it freezes over time, it just bursts it and makes yeah. it crack open. Mm-hmm. Same thing with uh, rainfall. If it just constantly gets beaded on, it's going to slowly, slowly break it apart. Mm-hmm. Which is And the bonds between hydrogen and oxygen and water molecules are super strong. It, it, water's kind of weird when, it, when you study the chemistry behind it. It takes a tremendous amount of energy to heat it up or cool it down. Okay. 
And, and I the love... bonds are so strong, it's just like nothing breaks it apart. And it's one of the most... Um, I don't know the exact word for it, but it can break up anything, right? Mm -hmm. Because it, because of the way that the, it's structured with the positive and the negative on it. Mm -hmm. It's like, just that's that's so amazing to me. It's like, over time, if I put my hand in water and just rubbed it around, it's just going to slowly make it wrinkle. And like, I could probably just sweep my skin off because it's been right. there for so long. Yeah, that, that, that one uh, Asian torture method where they just put drops on your head over time, your forehead starts sinking in. That's crazy. <laughs> that, that, that'd be weird. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's like, because, um, no, because that's like a baby, right? When they first develop, they still don't have that skin. So that's actually like, you know, I, I see it as like water still. Like their brain and their skull is still developing. Mm -hmm. So you can still actually press it. That's right. probably what it feels like. Yeah. Just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> Let's talk about so procession. Any procession. So eccentricity is the shape of the Earth's orbit around the sun. And that changes over time. In geology, nothing's constant. The ground is always moving. The ocean, the ocean plates are always moving. Uh, Mount Everest is still getting higher. The East Mountains here in uh, Albuquerque, they're moving away from us. The West Mesa here in the Rio Grande Valley is moving away from us as well. The valley is slowly getting bigger. Okay. And you can do radio telemetry. You could point a laser at the Monzano Mountains and show that it's moving like about a centimeter a year. We can measure that. Okay. A centimeter a year. I'm 31. It's moved 30 centimeters in my lifetime. Damn. And and in a small scale, you you put a ruler on the table. You're just like, what the hell? Yeah. And but, but you think of a massive object moving that far. Yeah. And with geology, once you start studying it, you start thinking in terms of thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years, millions, billions. Okay. Yes. You stop with this small time frame. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, a life, a human lifetime is a blink of an eye. It's a nanosecond in geologic time, and it's it's it, it's I can see that too because yeah. precession takes a really long time for just one cycle to happen. Mm -hmm. So like that's constantly changing. For the the orbit, our Earth's orbit is an oval to begin with, and that's constantly changing. So obliquity is uh, the angle of the Earth's tilted axis, and it varies from, according to my notes here, twenty two point one degrees to twenty four point five degrees. The uh, more extreme the tilt. The more extreme the seasons are. So, okay, question. Um, we're going in an orbital pattern around the sun. Mm -hmm. As that's happening, we also have this top effect going on as well, correct? So we're moving in a circle like this. In, in as, those, as the sun's moving, you're saying? No, uh, with the sun's in the center, uh, uh, the earth is rotating around the sun. And while the earth rotates around the sun, it also rotates on its own. Oh, yeah. And it ha while it's rotating, it had that's the precession, correct? Which makes it, it, makes it look like a falling top. Yeah. So it's the sun and then the earth and then still the earth is falling like a like a falling top. It it doesn't have a perfect uh right. And the sun is orbiting around the galaxy as well. See that's scary in itself too. Like oh my it, god. It, I think it takes like 200 200 million years for an entire a complete orbit around the galaxy. And what is okay, what would the sun be like? revolving around at that point the galactic central point a galactic central point mm -hmm. so that's like uh headquarters right yeah basically <laughs> yeah there's there's like a bunch of stars there i think they think there's probably a black hole we uh experts believe astrophysicists believe there's a black hole probably at the center of every galaxy okay and there's just a bunch of stars right next to a galactic central point and they're just going crazy moving incredibly fast Dang. Yeah. That's so scary. And it, it's, yeah, so the last time 
the sun was at this point in the galaxy, this position, the dinosaurs were still around, roaming around oh. 200 million years ago. And it barely would be the first actual, like, in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. Well, not in our lifetime, but the whole span of the Earth, I guess. Yeah. Because, so, like, what, the sun's about 5 billion years old or so? So, what, that's 25 rotations around the galaxy so far? Dang. <laughs> and we've only experienced one. Like uh, like us humans? Or no, no, not life? Not us humans, but so the sun is constantly doing that. But um, the Earth wasn't created as soon as uh, the sun has been doing that, right? It was created about f- um, 500 500 million years after. So the sun probably did a few rotations before Earth actually got created. Yeah, at least two. Two? See, that's... <laughs> I hate that because it's just so weird to yeah. think about. And so, we're here in a small sense. So yeah, like... so procession here, it adjusts the position in the Earth's orbit at which each season occurs. Okay. And uh, it's wobble. It's the Earth's wobble hmm. as it rotates the sun. But uh, obliquity, to backtrack a little bit, it's a 41,000-year cycle. So every 41,000 years, the Earth's axis is at its most extreme, the tilt. Okay. And then every 40,000 years, it back. goes back. And uh, the more extreme the tilt, the more extreme the seasons are. The precession is a 21,500-year cycle. And uh, that changes the wobble. And all three are happening simultaneously. Okay. And eccentric- eccentricity is a 100,000-year cycle. So eccentricity controls the length of the season, obliquity controls the intensity of the seasons, precession controls the timing slash position of the seasons in Earth's orbit. So in that case, right now, where do you think we are at? We're not at the lowest point of uh, entricity, no, right? No, I'm not sure. Because like, well, a lot of people have been complaining that why has it been such a rainy season this this year compared to last year like uh if you've noticed it has well, been that's a... that's how weather is weather's kind of crazy there's you, first of all you need to understand the difference between weather and climate okay weather is just year to year day by day climate is an acclimation of at least 10 years of research showing like this is this climate we have monsoons every july august september here in new mexico okay so the weather's more with like a... It's day-to-day, and it's random. That's why weather forecasts don't go beyond seven days, ah, okay. because it's random. You can't really predict the, a yeah. lot of it. And what... Uh, well, I mean, there's certain things that happen in the Earth that causes the weather to change, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, um, what's a ge- in a geology standpoint, what is something that would uh, cause a, a something more rainfall to happen here in this area if something happened? Like... What's going on with the fires in California? Is that affecting our geology anywhere in, in like the world? Because it's really bad. Like, obviously, there's a lot of smoke that's covering the sun, which is not letting certain vegetation grow. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of manpower that are going into more resources over water and stuff like that. Like, obviously, we're already changing some demograph of the world because of what's happening with this small. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not really well small. There's, there's not really enough smoke to, for it to affect the weather or block out any any of the sun or anything you need, not massive, a, you need massive amounts over decades not in a big scale but i mean i'm pretty sure like oh yeah it's the, affecting the local areas yeah for where sure. it's happening for sure that a volcano in iceland years ago shut down european air traffic wow yeah so it, it just it happens it happens um how do we overcome it or what do we do to make something different like well this is going to sound controversial but we need to realize that forest fires happened before we were around. Okay. Before we were around, 
and we had the means to fight them, no one fight fought them. And uh, some some areas show that things grow grow back stronger, quicker, and uh, much thicker vegetation-wise after those you know seasonal fires. It, it's happened in the Via Caldera near the Hemis Mountains, you know, because there's a big fire out there. It's growing back thicker and fuller, more rich. Mm-hmm. So because like all that ash brings back you know nutrients into the soil. So you're, I'm not, I'm not saying you're saying let it burn, but. No, but it's just like, <laughs> you, we're fucking with nature fighting forest fire. And I love how you said that too. Back in the day, we just let it, we're just like, all right guys, it's burning. Let's move on. We got to go. There's nothing we can do. Let's take off. And then they come back and they're like, holy shit, there's an apple tree here now. Right. There yeah. was never an apple tree here. Just, shit like that. Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> that's aw- That's pretty awesome too, because I can see it affecting in a long-term scale. Because, like, obviously, if we just let it burn, then maybe there would be more fertile lands in California mm-hmm. instead of what there is now because we keep... Mm-hmm. We let- keep fighting it, and it's just the way the natural cycle is. The, the natural world wants that to burn down. It's so <laughs> weird to think about, too. <laughs> so to speak, you know? So does that honestly make um, that area more, like, fertile like should we start growing there now more Mm -hmm. because like obviously there's certain parts of the united states where we have awesome lands of where we grow millions of crops like the nebraska area stuff like that do um i've heard that you shouldn't be growing the same style of crops in the same area because it just depletes the soil nutrients right that's that's what helped cause the dust bowl back in the 30s i think yeah and that's what that's how that transition how does that affect like um tell me just more like all the nutrients are just gone and it's just sand and dirt left over you know and like that's you can't you can't grow stuff on it when it's just sand and dirt you know you need you need those other nutrients you need your nitrates and whatnot plants love nitrates that's why fertilizer is so good for it okay and that, I see, I, I'm we're totally straying off of millions of right. other topics, but <laughs> it's weird to understand the well to get to know that too, because obviously it's the groundwork, like and like I want to know like why the ground is certain parts of the world are like fertile lands where you can grow awesomely, and then you go to like Egypt, there's nothing but sand dunes, and you can't even do anything there, mm-hmm. and it's like just the way that the world is is like. Mm-hmm pretty awesome then you think about it back in the day it's just like one giant continent of pangea where everything was like right i didn't even think anything was different like i'm pretty sure you could have walked from the americas to south africa and it still kind of was the same fertile land no no it wasn't there were still deserts at the time really yes wow yeah because of uh, hadley cells see we're, we're always jumping <laughs> always jumping i'd have to find the hadley cells here we go all right let's see Hadley cells. Air rises from the equator and then cools and dries in the troposphere. I don't remember exactly what the troposphere is. Uh, You might want to look that up. Then falls back from the atmosphere at a 30 degrees north latitude and 30 degrees south latitude. Some air comes around and completes the loop. Some air travels to higher latitudes. So, um, near the equator, it's it's pretty stable. And there's, you know, constant rainfall, high humidity. And first of all, the sun is what causes wind, first of all. Let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Okay. So around the equator, it's pretty stable. Because, very... because there's high humidity coming in from the Hadley cells, 
and uh, that's where the Earth's axis affects it the least. So that's where um, the seasons are the mildest. Okay. Um, as Hadley cells come in, they kind of like come in in a loop. So um, I can't remember if they go like this or like this at the equator. Lowest point region of the atmosphere extended from the Earth's okay, surface. Okay, so we're in the troposphere. Yeah. Okay. So. Hmm. Thank you, sir. <laughs> so as the so solar wind comes, it creates Hadley cells. So at the equator, it's bringing in humidity. Uh, from the southern hemisphere, it's bringing in humidity between 0 degrees and 30 degrees latitude. Or is that? No, that's longitude. My bad. So it's bringing in humidity from the south, and it's also bringing in humidity, let's do it this way, from the north. So all that humidity meets at the, uh, the, equator. At the equator. That's why there's tropical forests around there okay. all along the equator. Well, the opposite effects at about 30 degrees longitude, where the humidity is be taking away from it. That's why at 30 degrees uh, in the southern hemisphere and northern hemisphere, that's why deserts form Along in that area and that area alone. And they form at the uh, top and bottom of so, the Earth as well. Antarctica is actually the largest desert in the world. Okay. I could see that too. So if I were to take that point, the longitude line, and just go around the whole Earth, I would find a lot of deserts. Be like desert, desert, desert. Mm -hmm. a lot we're, of... we're at about the 30-degree longitude line, yeah. and we're in a desert. Yeah, that's crazy too. And we, we line up with the African desert. And the, the deserts in China, wow. and there's and in the thirty degrees and in the southern hemisphere it lines up with Australia, and the deserts in South America. So the um, the higher or lower that those points go, it's just the less fertile land. Yeah, lands. but then the same thing happens uh, a little higher because uh, at the sixty degree mark you have forests again. That's that's where the northeast yeah, the or the northwest range. in the you know that Seattle region, Oregon. You have forests along that, all along that, around the world. Okay. And same thing with the southern hemisphere. That's crazy. Yeah, and, and then, then and then it turns into deserts again at the uh, you know the north and south poles. And it's due to what was that? The Hadley cells. Hadley cells. Yeah. And it's just, just the solar wind. Okay. How does that explain then for at the sixty degree mark? Um, more like because they do have more gust winds and stuff right mm -hmm. so um, it's just that way of that specific spot because like you said closer yeah the to Hadley cells meet together and they're just bringing in humidity taking it away from those desert areas okay and there there's actually because like you said um, towards the equator it's more fertile like it, there's like tropical rainforest and stuff so there's not a lot of winds in that area mm. but closer towards the 60 degree mark there's like tons of no like, no towards the 30 degree mark where the deserts are because the humidity is being taken away. And there's probably high winds in the 60-degree mark, too. Yeah, that, that's where I was trying to go to yeah. on that pen. And does it still continue onward? Like, if you go into Alaska or Antarctica, is it still, you can still see high winds and stuff in there compared to the equator? Yeah, probably. Is I, there... don't really know, I don't really know that much into it, but... Yep. Were there ever? Well, see, I'm asking way too much into details questions, but like, I want would that would be cool to know. Was there ever winds that matched each other? Like, was there like 70 degree winds that were happening in Alaska at one time? The highest wind, I don't know what the highest uh, uh, mile per hour winds were there, but did that ever happen at the equator? 
Mm, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't really know much about it. And then there would be those aspects too. Is like hurricanes happen more towards the equator aspect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's they're fueled by warm, warm waters. And those are high-pressured winds. Like, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure maybe there's... Yeah, that's where the high-pressure and low-pressure comes in with these Hadley cells and feral cells and polar cells. The feral cells are 30 degrees to 60 degrees. Polar cells are 6 degrees and above. The Hadley cells are 0 to 30 degrees, the equator area. And I love how you will never probably get a hurricane to happen up in the... You know, Alaska or Antarctica region. Nope, unless Alaska moves into those hurricane-prone areas. That's the only way. Mm-hmm. That's so weird. And uh, to backtrack a little bit, Antarctica is the largest desert in the world. The simple, the simplest definition of a desert is less than uh, 10 inches of rainfall per year or precipitation. And it doesn't, it doesn't snow. It just blows snow around there. Oh. There's not enough humidity to create it. To create that precipitation. So what is it then? Is it a is is it an uh, is it a landmass? Yeah, it is. There's there's a continent underneath it. It's just okay. covered by ice. A bunch of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're still in an ice age too. I, I'm blown away. The definition of an ice age is permanent ice on the Earth's surface all year round. All year round. So yes. Obviously. So when so when all the ice melts in Antarctica, we're out of we're out of the ice age. Will that happen? Probably. Does that affect us? I read an article recently that scientists are predicting that we'll be out of an ice age around 2100. 2100. Um, How does that affect when people say that, like, well, the polar ice caps are melting and it's making sea levels rise? Well, seasons make it melt. That's always been happening. So that's it's going to happen. Yeah. And sea, sea, uh, sea levels have been rising and lowering this entire time throughout Earth's history. So it's just our job to ad- adapt to those changes. Yeah, but w- it um, we don't really know enough about this, but we're clear. We think we're clearly uh, accelerating it to a point where life isn't unable to adapt because evolution takes thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. Okay. So that you don't think we would be able to adapt. In that, in the we short will, of... we will, because we're omnivores. We'll eat anything. We'll be one of the last species to survive, just because we have the will, we have the drive, we have the knowledge, and we're omnivores. We'll eat anything. Okay, and we can find nutrients. Yeah, anything. polar bears have to quickly evolve back into grizzly bears or some equivalency, or they're gone. Explain that, because of the, uh, just... but because of uh, you know, there's not enough. Uh, ice around the North Pole. They have to swim further distances, so they either end up like drowning, trying to uh, continue doing what they're doing, or they start moving more inward onto land and trying to forage there because they know they there's no ice out there. They can't survive out there anymore. And that's weird to think that like a bear has adapted to the ice region, and still like there's 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 differences between a black bear and a polar bear, but I mean there isn't either like mm-hmm. they just adapted to their situation of where they are in the land and you see it too like a polar bear's neck is a little bit longer than a grizzly bear they look like they have more like a spread of like more reach right their arms yeah, and stuff the, uh, the environment dictates evolution that's why humans have so many different skin colors it's because where their ancestors were born and raised people in africa have darker skin colors because they're exposed to the sun all the time so they need protection from the sun White people went to Europe, you know, and uh, there's less uh, 
um, sunlight all year round. So we adapted to uh, get lighter skin to be able to absorb that sunlight when it was available. Okay. Same thing <clears throat> with like Native American stuff too, right? Mm-hmm. They Their skin tone is a certain color because of what they were exposed to. Right. And you can see it too when you go through, say, from New Mexico down to Mexico all the way to South Africa or uh, Africa and South Africa. South America. South America. Thank you. <laughs> you see the color change too. You see darker darker people yeah it was the environment dictating all this it's racism is so arbitrary and stupid that's why i love that (laughs) i love the episode of south park where they talk about the goo backs like we're just one unif. that's pretty much what we are is just Mm -hmm. one uniform person just we all change because of where we ended up Mm -hmm. so that's that's troubling in itself as well so like yeah and so like since the world is so connected and cultures and societies countries are beginning so intermixed that yeah like we'll probably have this weird goo back start uh, style of human (laughs) later on in the future that's already you can see it already everyone's going to be mixed no one's like pure it's very rare to have like 100 percent italians these days or everyone's mixed everyone's mixed that's that's weird to think about Mm mm-hmm because you know there's always everyone's probably mixed these days do you do you think uh, this is just going into conspiracy bullshit like they have bloodlines <laughs> still like you know or the bloodline has to be passed down from generation to generation oh, yeah still people still believe that but they're kind of getting out of that but now now it's like you need to get with uh someone that is the same you need to get with a catholic you know you know if you're catholic you need to get with a muslim if you're a muslim like that's still prevalent but okay. the bloodline thing i think that's slowly going away okay because we we obviously learned like the genetic flaws to that, right? Right. We're just like, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that, dude. Look at your look at your son. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we feel bad for King Henry the twenty fifth. Right. Yeah. We need ge- genetic diversity. It's your best bet to survive and be healthy and not have genetic disorders later on in life. And that's weird to think about too. Is like we see it in like animals too when we genetically advance them. We're like, oh, let's make a new animal. And then once we make the new dog, we're like, oh, let's like breed that dog over and over and over again and when it's bred over and over again you see some declines in it like it's high yeah legs. purebreds are kind of a new thing in relative terms because rich people started blowing money on all this and making certain dog breeds oh like I, I like how this dog has shorter legs let's keep let's try and recreate that oh this dog is small smaller and smaller let's try and try and recreate that blah 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 blah, blah. true dogs are mutts because they just banged whoever. They they weren't selective breeding. Yeah. Animals don't selective breed. Yeah. <laughs> I love that aspect, too, is because... True uh, dogs are mutts. Pure breeds are freaking genetic anomalies. Yeah, you can tell, too. Some of them are, like, they struggle. Some mm-hmm. of them struggle. I've seen, like, what? German shepherds are prone to hip problems. There you go. Same thing with uh, my dog. But it's just because she's a mix. But, yeah, there it is. It's like that mix of the purebred is what it caused her to have bad problems. Like, mm-hmm. why didn't you let her grow up and develop how she should have been so she doesn't have this problem? Because, again, there's, like, bread, bread, bread. Oh, well, I don't have this dog anymore, so I give it away. Mm-hmm. And then it breeds with another dog. Right. Unfortunately, it, they're still the problems of the main right. bread dog. It's, it's all a scam. You're paying hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars on the, these pure breeds that are prone to diseases. It's all a scam. Yeah. <laughs> You guys hear that? Don't get a purebred dog. Don't. Mutt, mutts are the true dogs. Like literally, they <laughs> they feel more comfortable. You just it's it's 
It's you. You're the mutt. You yes. want to get another yes. one. Chihuahuas are freaks. They're tiny, <laughs> angry assholes. Giant heads. Oh, my God. It's crazy. I don't get how people can get those dogs, too. Mm-mm, me either. You're not a big dog or a little dog person? Not really, but I've sort of sort of warmed up to them because my sister has a half Pomeranian, half Chihuahua. And I think there's something else in there, but like that, that dog's awesome. It's the first Chihuahua I've ever liked. Okay. But it's not a pure breed. It's half Pomeranian. Yeah, you see it too. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. there you go. That's Genetics are weird in itself. Mm-hmm. No, I've always loved big dogs because my, my favorite dog was half St. Bernard, half Chow. And it was this giant fluffy teddy bear. And he, was, and he was awesome. Yeah, I can see that too. <laughs> That'd be fun to have. Like, I've always wanted a bigger dog, but then you think about it, it's like mm-hmm. big dogs are like, huge right but you know they're awesome if i were to have a pure breed it'd be a bernie's mountain dog really? they're like the close cousins to saint bernard's saint bernard's were the ones that the monks the monks hung around with and helped people wary travelers and whatnot bernie's mountain dogs they were the working dogs oh. they were the ones that were like helping out in the fields and like like probably helping hauling shit too yeah. the hunting and stuff yeah oh i love those if i were to have a pure breed it'd be that and i'd name him orogeny I'd, name, I'd probably nickname it Genie, but I'd, na- nickname, I'd name it Orogeny, which is the process of mountain building. Ah. So I'd, I'd name my Bernie's mountain dog after the process of mountain building because I'm a geology nerd. Catchy. <laughs> Catchy. I like the color of that dog, too. Oh, yeah. That's a nice dog. Mm-hmm. You uh, So you don't know. Maybe one day get that dog? Oh, yeah, definitely. Cool. I know we're talking about dogs now, but yeah. that's the beauty of this podcast. It's whatever comes up. Right. Tell me more about geology. I want to know. Okay, well, what do you want to know? Well, I see this right here. You're telling uh, the Mesozoic era, the... The Mesozoic era, the Men- geologic time scale. Whoa, what is going on here? You you are just fascinating me right now, man. I have no <laughs> idea where to, like, ask you questions or what to know about. Yeah, well, let's, let's see. You see the Galatian... Uh, the Galatian age right there. Okay. That's when, like, ancient humans re- came about, about 2 million years ago. But modern humans were about 200,000 years ago. So, like, we're barely in this sliver, and all of this is uh, the entire age of the Earth. That's, like, nothing. <laughs> no, it's nothing. And this, the Mesozoic era, that was the age of the dinosaurs. So the dinosaurs survived throughout this era... But in this era, we're still just right here. Yeah, we're about like, like ancient humans were came around about two million years ago, or like our ancient ancestors. Okay. The bipedal apes. But we're probably about we're barely we're barely in the Holocene. Yeah, I think it's the Holocene is the time, and I think that changed recently. But the Holocene is when humans, modern humans, came about, the very end. We've barely been around. <laughs> That's so crazy to think about, yeah, too. We've been around. Modern humans been around two hundred thousand years, according to the fossil record. Earth has been around four point five billion years. It's just it's it's crazy to know what can come next. Like, mm-hmm. what what would we do to like advance ourselves more? Like, right. You've seen those scenarios of like, well, we're getting overpopulated. Like, how are we going to live on the land anymore? Like, there's just so many weird things to think about. Because, like, um, what's one thing that always is uh, troubling is, like, our political stance right now as 
whatever Americans is like you know, we're the badasses of the country. But what happens when un, like we don't have certain resources to like replenish our area? Like we get most of our what uh, I don't want to say all of our domestic products, but like do we get a lot of stuff shipped to us? Like why don't we have the resources or like the fertile lands or whatever to be uh i don't know what i'm even trying to talk about now <laughs> um i mean i don't know because I, I was seeing this and all i keep thinking about is like like china's gonna advance way more than we are sliver. yeah like yeah. i feel like um china is gonna advance way more than we are because we are slacking and wanting to learn more about science and more about technology and more about the earth right but we're not funding it and we're not uh promoting it in a positive way because there's so many science deniers out there you can't have an intelligent conversation with someone that denies the scientific consensus of those experts in the field you're not a scientist but you're you don't believe any of the experts in the field like how can we have an argument how can we have a discussion if that's how you feel okay is there certain things that like you get like refuted on they're like no that's not true that's the you. moon landings Okay. The moon. I constantly argue with people about the moon landings. Uh, did it happen or not? It happened. Okay. And what makes you say that it happened? Uh, China released a satellite recently that orbited the moon, and they took pictures of all the moon landing sites. And there, you could clearly see. I should have got that website of that that Chinese website for that. But you could clearly see the lunar rover tracks. You can clearly see the landing sites. Okay. Uh, Ground-based telescopes here on Earth don't have enough resolution to take those pictures. But if you sense something that's orbiting the moon, there's enough resolution to be able to take those pictures. So we saw it. Yes, that we have pictures of it. Okay. Why do you think... Well, see, then that's another thing, too. Is like, why would people keep saying that it didn't happen then? Do they just want to have a story to tell? Yeah, because... Yeah. I don't know why. We just... They just... I'm not sure why. Maybe they thought we were incompetent, like the Soviets were kicking our ass in the space race. They beat us in everything. But, oh, wow, see? They beat us in everything, but then all of a sudden we, we made it to the moon before them. I, I don't know. Conspiracy theories are weird. It's just people are skeptics. We should be skeptics, but you can't deny the scientific evidence and consensus. So then in my question is, why haven't... Oh, I can't ask you, like, hey, man, why haven't we sent anybody back yet? Like, how can there's we... There's nothing there. Well, obviously, there's... Everything, like, everything on Earth is found out there. So everything, there's nothing to explore there. Not really. Besides... But it's... There's nothing to benefit from. There was no money making in it. Not it's even just, those fantasies of, like, no, a lunar because, moon base or anything? Well, that would be nice, but... We have to we have to keep in mind the space race was fueled by the Cold War. Okay. You know, like we we <laughs> they fund scientists to help like gather resources or help them get advantages over our so supposed enemies. Okay. So like we found out that there was no no mon no, there was no monetary benefits, there was no political or war benefits from it. And there's a theory that something slammed into Earth, and that's how the moon was created, 
another planet slammed into Earth way long ago. And uh, that's how the moon was created. And uh, that's why our moon is so much... Uh, so... Um, that's why the moon is so big relative to the Earth, because if you look at all the other moons around all the other planets in the solar system, they're small compared to their planets. Okay. So, um, but then how does, like, some of the moons from, like, Saturn and stuff uh, relate just because of the size then, obviously, right? They're like, oh, this moon is actually kind of the same size as what Earth would be. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, that's, it's just related to the size at that point. Mm -hmm. So... Obviously, more uh, moons that are closer to like I don't know. I don't want to say like I don't want. I don't even know if there are any moons that orbit Mars or Venus. Yeah, there's two around Mars. I don't think Venus or Mercury have any. But those two are way smaller than our moons. Mm -hmm. Same thing with if we go past Pluto, the Pluto has a moon, and it's what, smaller. <laughs> yes, super small. Well, Pluto is pretty small on its own, right? Mm -hmm. So, and then there's that refutal too. Is like, was it still? Is it still a planet? Is it not no, a planet? No, it's not a planet because we found stuff beyond Pluto in the Kuiper Belt that's about the same size. And if Pluto's that size and it's considered a planet, now we have to consider all this other, all these other things, planets, which just are relative to size. Yes. So it was just easier to say, oh, Pluto's a dwarf planet. Okay, I love that too. <laughs> that's that's seeing we're just going into space now, but that's like. Um, how many, I don't even want to ask that cause that's scary. It's like, um, one question is, uh, uh, how precious and rare is gold here on earth compared to it in the universe? Is there even any gold out there? In the oh universe? yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, when the first stars, uh, were created in, or for the first stars were formed in this universe, it was just mainly hydrogen and helium. Okay, because there it's burning off. Um, it's burning off one to turn into the other. I think it's burning off hydrogen, turning into helium, and uh, so there wasn't any really heavy elements. The heavy elements came when stars became unstable, collapsed on, collapsed in on themselves, and exploded. Because once you ran out of run out of hydrogen, there's just helium there, and then it like slowly turns into all these other things. And when it turns into starts turning into iron, that's when it becomes unstable and explodes. That's how all the other heavy elements were created. Okay. So it, it, we're we're all stardust. If yeah, in hindsight. Yeah. I love how that stars aspect, had to die for us to experience this. Because literally, I love the aspect of thinking that that can right there, the molecular structure to the core is nothing different than my structure. It's just the way that the atoms and protons are assembled, which makes it to the can compared mm -hmm. to what I am made out of. Right. But if you break me down all the way down to the bare essentials, I'm the same as I can. Mm -hmm. I'm the same as the air that we're breathing right now. That's another fucking mind-blowing thing to think about. But uh, and the crazy thing is we're 99% empty space. Stop! <laughs> How does that even work? What, because, what do you mean? Because there's an atomic nucleus, and then there's electrons going around it, and that's the mass, right? Okay. But the le electrons... Are pretty like their orbits around it are pretty big so there's a lot of space in yes. between them yeah 99 percent. yes everything every molecule every atom every atom is 99 percent empty space do we account for that empty space then uh, yeah because the the magnetic uh uh the uh, the, the magnetic forces or what's or what's uh what allows molecules and atoms not to travel through each other it's that magnetic resistance that forms solid objects 
cat is. <laughs> so wait, okay. So I'm picturing this in the center and a bunch of things moving around it and everything around it is that empty space. Mm -hmm. But that empty space around it, is it not really empty? I mean, is that another form of energy or something there that we just don't know about yet? Right. I don't know. We, we, we don't really know. That's crazy. If anybody listening, throw some links down. Tell me what you guys think. Because that's just another thing. That's... Yeah, that's just how atoms work. That's just how chemistry works. To our knowledge, as of today, it could change. But we, Yeah, we could learn something new, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's intense in itself. Seeing that, just listening to that or like talking about that just makes me think like we know nothing compared to like. No, we really don't. I mean, we even came up with an idea of an alien and we don't even know if there's aliens or not. Right. Like. Right. Well, statistically speaking, like there's so many stars in this galaxy. There's more. Um, there's more stars in our galaxy than there are grains of sand on all the world's beaches. Yeah. And then I forgot the other one, but so there's more atoms inside of our body than they are in the there are stars and grains of sand. Yeah, that's it's another right. But that in that aspect too, it's like I don't, I just don't know what like I, like, I think one. Neil deGrasse put it. Um, there's more uh, water. There's more atoms in this bottle of water than there are. Uh, bottles of water if you fill all the earth's oceans into bottles of water there's more atoms in this than there are bottles of water so you could have the whole world's water supply into, into bottles, bottles of like this there's more atoms in this single bottle of water than there are bottles of water i get it <laughs> and that's just weird to think about in itself too because yeah. we're made of so much like so much what why well we just don't know how to do it yet but like what to change our molecular structure like it seems i love sci-fi and like fantasy and stuff mm -hmm. like that because it seems like it might be possible oh yeah we can synthesize a lot of rocks and minerals and diamonds we can synthesize diamonds uh, i've read an article that um scientists were able to create a mineral in a lab that soaks up co2 carbon dioxide from the earth's atmosphere so that could help battle like all the co2 we're pumping into the atmosphere okay we could make we could put it in a solid form and then it's just trapped there forever just like, until it erodes away it's like whatever some monument or something mm -hmm. right like you know you know how trees and plants soak up co2 yeah well, when they die when you cut them down all that co2 is released again really yes i did not know that see and i thought it was converted and what made it into the oxygen and it just stays there mm -hmm. wow so that's harmful in itself then. So does that count for when they're getting burned? Yeah, yeah. like if we cut down trees, trees soak up CO2. But when we cut them down, we're actually releasing CO2 back. Not only are we taking away that source that uh, sucks sucks up CO2. We're releasing it back. We're releasing up. it back and cutting out that source. So it's not like once you cut it, it's not like, oh, where can I go? It just gets released back into the air because mostly everything. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why deforestation is so bad, right? Yes. I mean, I mean, it is what yes, it is. Yes, like we need to switch to hemp and marijuana to save save all the trees. You heard it here, folks. You heard it here <laughs> we first. We need to switch to hemp. You heard it hemp, on Amuse Me hemp TV. Hemp-based plastics, everything. And it's true because it's it's been proven that it can be made into so many things. Yeah, and you could get two or three crops a season out of marijuana and hemp compared to like most other plants trees take years years decades 
And that's funny to think about too, is because if I remember correctly, it was all just due to like somebody wanting to make money. Mm-hmm. Like I'm gonna legal or uh, make marijuana and hemp legal illegal. So yeah, that because my paper con- because yeah, the paper companies, the uh, oil companies, because before petroleum, cannabis oil was used as a lubricant. Oh. Uh, canvas is actually the Dutch word for cannabis. <laughs> the Constitution was made out of hemp paper. There you go. <laughs> uh, you can make clothes out of it, medicine. I've seen videos that may, uh, people made uh, bricks for building materials out of hemp. Whoa. They made hemp bricks to build houses. Looks sturdy. Looks looks like anybody could live in it. Mm-hmm. It's it's insulated. That's so weird. It's sturdy. See, in that so at that point, it's just political power. Too many, too many people will lose too much money if this becomes legal. And plus, uh, prison guard unions, they don't want drugs to be legalized because the prisons are privatized. Yeah, there's hundreds of people. Empty cells, you, you don't make money. You're, you're, just, you're losing money with empty cells. Empty prison cells and jail cells because of all these privatized prisons. And is it? And that's wrong. I don't know if you know this, but is America, well, not just America, but there's only a few countries that actually have uh, prison as a privatized thing, right? Like uh, I don't know too much about it. I just know a lot of America's prisons are. Yeah, because I know there are some other countries that uh, don't the, privatize. The current attorney general, Jeff Sessions, owns stocks and might even own a couple of private prisons. I, so he, he has, you know, interests. And I don't get where the money to, like, how does this get financed, okay? So, like... You have prisoners that come in, and they obviously have to be fed. They have to be housed. They have to be, like... Well, they're they're paid, what, like 10, 15 cents an hour, and a lot of them, you know, manufacture stuff. So, like, like actual... The, like, the one, the one cliche is, uh, like, license plates. Yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> a license plate is what? Like, you're paying, like, 20, 35 bucks, mm-hmm. and the guy made it for only 10 cents? An hour. And he made, like, what, maybe, like, 50 in an hour? Mm-hmm. That's so it's it's hard to think about that. That's what they want to rehabilitate people. That's how you re- rehabilitate somebody. Right. You turn them into slave labor. That's basically what it is. And does, do you think that makes that's why criminals get worse or they just don't find their like. I think that has a part to do with it. But it's just the culture of prison in general where like you can't you can't show any signs of weakness whatsoever or you're. They're going to get fucked in the ass. That's so weird to think about, though. <laughs> it's like if you go into prison, you can't be the smart political guy. You have to be a badass. Mm-hmm. And, and then it, there's racial cliques. Like, I'm 25% Hispanic, but if I go into prison and I'm going to be there for a while, I have to side with the fucking skinheads because they're the only ones that will protect me. That's kind of sad to think of that, too, because, like, <laughs> like, you probably do have more in common with other races than just mm-hmm. the whites, you know? Yeah. You just don't want to just portray yourself as like a white person right. because that brings more like negativity on you I, and then mm-hmm. that's going back into like making sure that we're so culturally diverse and like plentiful like I love learning stuff from you because you're different from me <laughs> I don't want to learn stuff from somebody that's the same as me yeah you don't learn that way exactly we all just talk about the same thing over yeah, and over you need to expose yourself to new things constantly that's the beauty of us as like humans that's, that's, that's one of the problems with tribalism it's my team versus your team you know, uh, I, I'm a hardcore Republican. My team can do no wrong. The Democrats are the ones that corrupt. But the extreme leftists feel the same way. The Republicans are the corrupt ones. We're the good guys. We're all humans. We're all capable of great things. We're all capable of corruption and atrocities. 
people tend to forget that because they're on my team. No, see, that's, yeah. And, and that's funny to think about, too, because you can be on the same team and see some negativity that's going on mm-hmm. on the same team. Mm-hmm. But because you're part of the same team, what do you do? Right, right. It's just like the Democrats are so fed up with Republicans because Democrats don't know how to win elections. They're mad because of the past 20 years, all the elections they've been losing. But they're blaming everyone else. They never look inwards. And then there are the... There, it, it's does, the Electoral College. It's the uh, it's the, uh, the Republicans are corrupting and gerrymandering the political system, the voting system. It's the, it's the hackers. It's the non-voters. It's never us. <laughs> and I love that, too, is because, like, there might be those people inside of that group that are like... We just have to go out there and do more. Yeah. They're very little. And like when you get on the extreme left or the extreme right, you don't listen anymore. Yeah. You don't the anti fascist is such bullshit because they tell people, No, you I don't want to hear your opinion. You need to listen to me. I'm talking. Yeah, you know, blah 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 blah. You can't talk. That's fucking fascism. Yeah, you just don't get an opinion now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you need to be willing to listen. And that no, was, ma- no matter how hard you disagree with them. That was the beauty of uh, ancient like philosophers and stuff, too. Is like They disagreed all the time, but they listened to each other mm-hmm. because they wanted to know why. Yeah, like, yeah I've heard uh, stories and rumors that Persians, they I think it was the Persians, ancient Persians, they used to debate things twice once once sober and once drunk <laughs> and if both of those like go out well and both of those like they come over with they come up with the same uh the same ideas if the, the same outcome yeah when you debate it under those two different state of minds then like okay maybe, th- maybe this is a good idea okay that's actually you think about that that actually does bring up more that's like asking more than one person an opinion you know mm-hmm. let's get the input of more people to see if it is working right that that's that same thing it's mm-hmm. like i'm on one state of mind i'm an alter my state you can disagree with the other political parties but you have to be willing to listen to them yeah cuz you and never both sides are guilty of that that that's the biggest problem here we have now i feel in our society yes, now it's extremism all over the board and it's just that's not good in any way it's it's sad because like you want to tell somebody a simple topic that right is not even related right. and, to it and politics and religion are the biggest uh the biggest um uh what am i trying to say they're the biggest culprits okay. of this tribalism of this extremism of this unwillingness to listen and it's because of cognitive dissonance uh could you look that up and uh, it's because you're so set in your ways that when an idea uh, um, refutes that, you, you get angry because okay. that's you're set in your ways. That's how you always thought you the, the way the it was things were. Be, yeah. Yes, it's destroying your reality, and we don't like that as humans. <laughs> I don't. I don't get how people don't like that though. Is like again those little small things that you've explained to me. Okay. Cognitive dissonance, the state of having inconsistent thoughts, beliefs, or attitudes, especially as relating to behavioral decisions and attitude change. So, like, if anything disrupts your belief systems, you, you're less willing to, less willing to listen. It's, 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 uh, it's fucking with your reality. It is. <laughs> again, I'll bring up the topic when we were, when I was younger, I, for, I always thought, 
like, no, you're crazy. Black metal was created by Venom, like, mm-hmm. because of what I was taught. Right, and then I remember you got an encyclopedia of metal, and the very first black metal entry was Bathory. Yeah, see, that <laughs> you you learn from a different aspect. It's yeah. like, I took in this information from one person, and I was like, this is it, this is true, this is how it is. Mm-hmm. And then I got your information. Like, like a bunch of bands influenced, especially Venom and Celtic Frost, but eventually... Ultimately, Bathory created that genre. That started black metal. Yes. You can go back and be like, oh, yeah, they have a cool song called black metal, or they have a cool right. like, they, they idea. Up, they came up with the term. Yeah. But Bath- the Bathory style and all that style in Scandinavia at the time, it was different enough from death metal for them to branch off. I love that, too. Death metal is so crazy. Like, um, one of the bands that I've really been getting into a lot is Death. Um, what's yeah, the guy's Chuck. Th- yeah, Chuck, man. Oh, that's so weird. Like a bunch of death metal bands came out of Florida at the time. The, the at Florida that time. death metal scene. Yeah. How does that work? Like, I love how genres of music start in different places too. Right. Like, right. What the fuck? Right. Like, like Bathory was from Sweden, but Norwegians perfected black metal. They did. Yeah. They really and did. And then Sweden's the Swedish kind of went into melodic death metal. And they they do a really good job with it. Like and you see, the, the Finnish are really into power metal and like extreme metal, like Children of Bodom. It's so weird. Yeah. yeah, I love how that happens. And yeah. here here in America, we have some metal bands like what Five Finger Death Punch and what else is there that I'm trying to remember. No, Arch Enemy comes from uh, Sweden, right? Yeah, Fear Factory. Fear Factory's are really good. Yeah. I've always liked them. They're sick, too. Uh, Rob Zombie, stuff mm. like that. Yeah. And that's just weird how that... Because uh, I don't want to say industrial music started in America, but it does have a lot of foundations here, right? I mean... I don't really know much about it. Like, It seems like Germans would be the country that would create industrial because they're so weird. Because I thought it was... <laughs> craft, more, work, craft work, actually. That's that, true. Yeah. Because um, uh, I hear a Black Sabbath talk about it, too. It's like our sound comes from, like, you know, machines hitting each other and, like, big, like, steel presses and stuff like that. So I can see industrial music also coming from the Europe, like, that side of it. Right, right. You know, like, let me just put a cool sound of, like, metal chomping. Yeah, and then the crazy thing, the Beatles inspired Ozzy Osbourne to do what he's doing. What? The Beatles are his main influence. Why? He just loves John Lennon. Why John Lennon, though? That's weird. I don't know, but he loves the Beatles, dude. <laughs> which, that, is, which is crazy. That's one of his, like, <laughs> that's just one of his biggest influences, mm-hmm. is the Beatles. Ozzy's, I don't know about the rest of the guys, but that's Ozzy's Ozzy. biggest influence. Speaking of Ozzy, uh, no more, no more tours. Right. Two. Right. Oh, the what, sequel. What is he doing? <laughs> I, I don't, I don't. It's, I don't. it's his annual farewell tour. Some Sometimes the, <laughs> these old uh, bands. <laughs> How uh, I don't want to talk shit, but like compared to other musicians, how's Motley Crue still alive? There you go. Who just died? Aretha Franklin. Right? Yeah, yeah. There you go. Like, dude, um, you, have you seen the Blues Brothers? Yeah. You know her husband, Matt Guitar Murphy. He died a few months ago. What? Yes. I did not know that. Yeah. See, that's what's shitty about that too. Is like, where is the actual? Like, you should portray every musician that dies. You know, if they were an influence on the music genre or even on. He like, played with Zappa for years. A lot of those blue, the the other members of the Blues Brothers, not just the singers, but, yeah. you know, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. Yeah. A lot of those other guys played with Zappa. What? Yes. That's so sick to think about too, because like, there's so many people out there that don't even know Zappa. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's one thing that I loved about you guys too is like you guys introduced me to 
I never knew about Zappa. Like, yeah. now I listen to Dweezil all the fucking time. Just always has him on. His guitar work is just amazing. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, Dweezil, his son, is really good. Really good. But he, like, he was able to start, as soon as he started playing, he was exposed to that style of, that Frank Zappa had. Frank Zappa had to make that style over, you know, years, dec- a decade or so, you know. Frank Zappa actually started out as a drummer. Oh, really? Yes. And uh, he switched to guitar because he hated the way people were playing guitar solos. Oh, okay, see, that's that's funny. I could see that, and that's weird to think about too. Because I'm just quoting one of uh, Dave Mustaine. He was like, "I only became a singer because I didn't like how everyone else was singing." And it's just like, well, he, you're you're not that bad. You're good at what you do. Right. And that's one of those things too. Is like he you don't know what you can do because. Like, he mainly wrote Kill Em All, right? Well, he wrote a lot of songs off of there. Yeah. Like, the biggest ones that everyone knows are, like, The Four Horsemen, Jump in the Fire, yeah. Phantom Lord, mm-hmm. those ones. Right. But, I mean, because you even see later on in his records, he uh, releases those same songs with different names and different lyrics. Like, uh, Oh, really? Uh, fucking... I haven't really followed Megadeth and Metallica too much. Uh, Megadeth, uh, Metallica has a song called The Four Horsemen. And then Megadeth has a song called The Mechanic, which I feel like he just, even the song is just called Making the Song Better. It's like, you know, I'm working on this song, The Mechanic. Mm-hmm. And it's the same riff pattern. It's just a little faster. They also have uh, the Phantom Lord song, and he did one called Bullprick, which was, I can't remember the album that it was on, but it was the same one with the song Trust. You've mm-hmm. heard that song before. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a cool history in itself too. Like, look at how those two bands came up because of the influence they had on each other. Like, yeah. hey, let's hang out. Let's make music together. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're getting super serious. You're a drunk. You should get out of the right. band. We, we know this guy in Exodus that we're going to yeah. replace you with. Uh, you're done, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> but then, like, I love his quote. I don't even know if it's really um, Dave Mustaine's quote, but he's like, he vows to make a better band than Metallica, and look what happened. I think he succeeded. It's it's crazy, but now look at he's him now. He's been more consistent, that's for sure. But he's he's weird now. He's not the same person. He's more of like a... I guess you could say he grew up, because he doesn't have this spiteful revenge anymore. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, growing... I feel like that's what made their music amazing. Right. Well, his music, anyways. Yeah, I, I think Metallica didn't give doing a, them. Yeah, I don't think Metallica gave a fuck anymore after, after oh, he left. Yeah. That's why I like Fring Zappa so much. He... He constantly rewrote his songs, incorporated more stuff and more instruments, and like he, the, he never played the same song twice. Like the, from tour to tour, yeah. he would tweak the song a little bit. He would add more people coming in. He would have like his band sizes were about any from six people to fifteen people at, at certain points. He had fifteen people touring with him. That's crazy. <laughs> and he improvised every single solo. Every single one, unless there was a transition or a certain chord or riff or whatever that was like that went with that the song. went with the song, but all those jam sessions, all those solos, extended solos, he improvised all the time. Yeah, and that's cool. Think I'm pretty about. sure Slayer did the same thing. Slayer does do the yeah. same thing. They they have like a general idea of what it sounds like. Yeah, but they have an improvisation a lot mm-hmm. too. When I first started to play guitar, that was my initial goal. Is like I'll learn the song, but I will not learn the solo because I want to do my own solo. Right, and you never know what you'll come up with. And there's right. been some times where I play like the Trooper, and See, that, that's why. Uh, oh, go ahead. Everyone always thinks like you're expecting this high pitch in the begin. You're expecting mm-hmm. the Trooper solo, right? But then you play something different, and they're like, "Holy shit, that was actually pretty cool. I didn't expect that." 
same thing with Zappa. Right, and I think that I think that's my only criticism of Children of Bodom. They tweak it a little bit, but overall the solos tend to sound the same. Yeah, but that's that that in but itself it's is so, really it's so technical and it sounds so good. Like I can I could be fine with that because it makes me think of like old school composers where they're like, "This is my song. This right. is how it was written. Right. I wrote this solo like this," mm-hmm. you know. And then somebody comes over and like they play the same thing, but they don't add the right, the right vibrato or like a different kind of like. Instead of doing a regular like arpeggio chord, they do a legato line or something. It's the same notes, it's the same kind of pattern, but it just isn't the exact way that they played it. And they can hear it. Like I can't play like Alexi, but I know a lot of his songs, but I just don't do certain things like he does. Like he does a lot of solos with just these three fingers. Mm-hmm. And there's sometimes where I feel like I feel more comfortable doing it with my pinky. Right, I love when guitars go like this. Yeah, see? <laughs> it's fucking funny. Different <laughs> different things like that. How did you feel about Dragon Force when they first came out? Uh, the singer. I this Power metal singers are so fucking cheesy. You don't like it? No. Like they're, it, Why? It's amazing! It's Sing so, to me! Well, I, I love myself some King Diamond, though, so uh, it's, yeah. I can't knock it too much. Because he's just so over the top <laughs> But anyways, it's just, no, they were just, the singer just didn't fit the band. You don't think so? No. And they're just super, they're so technical. They're great at what they do. They're great musicians, they're great songwriters. But it's just, when you're that technical, you kind of, you kind of lose your soul in a way. How do you, music soul. I can see that. Like Dream Theater, they're amazing. They're technical and all, but it's just like, it's just overwhelming. You can't, No. No, but like Children of Bodom is, you know, they're kind of over the top and super technical too, but I was able to get into that. That's a, that's weird too, because like, have you ever heard of the feud that they had with uh, John Petrucci and Alexi Lehu? Mm-mm. It's over. It, it hasn't happened in a long time, but there was an interview with Alexi Lehu where he was talking about different guitars, different guitarists and their playing, and they asked him, what do you think of John Petrucci? And he did the same thing. He's like, I love his music. He's super awesome, but he he's a robot. Because right. he plays so technical, it's like you know exactly what the transition of the next. It, it's so, it's a robot. You literally, yeah. and and then some of the songs, the keyboardist like literally uses every single sound on his keyboard yeah. <laughs> while he's playing. It's yeah. just like it's it's just kind of overwhelming. You feel I can see where that that aspect comes in, so, and for some reason. I I was really into Dream Theater, and for some reason, when I see bands live, sometimes I get disinterested. I was really into Dream Theater. I saw them at that first Gigantour, and it was just like, ugh. You know, it's funny, too. Same thing happened to me with Cradle of Filth. No! I've never seen them live. I hate to stop you guys, but someone's asking, who is the best front man ever? Opinions. Hmm. The best front man? I'm, I'm going to go with a classic, and I'm going to go with the new release of the movie. <laughs> I'm going with, uh, uh, what's his name? Freddie Mercury. I really loved his portrayal of like how extravagant he was. He was one of the first guys to play a stadium in front of hundreds of thousands of people. Right. That's my pick. Right, and that Live Aid concert in Africa, like people were kind of questioning them and, and their status in the rock community. But that concert like solidified his legend. Yeah, <laughs> Every, like yeah, he, I can he, see that he's a great front man. He's getting a fucking movie made after. Um, <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Uh, hmm. I don't know. Bruce Dickinson is a great front man because he could get the crowd going. Yeah, that there and his stage percent. Like I love. Yeah, and his costume changes. Yeah, that was awesome. I saw them. It was probably like 
seven or eight years ago. But it was fun because I've always seen live videos. I saw The Rock in Rio, mm-hmm. and I was expecting something like that. But it wasn't. It was even better. Yeah. Because they always bring something new right. to the table. Right. Yeah. Uh, That's a I good one. Ozzy's a really good one. Ozzy's uh, a good one, too. What about you, man? Who do you think is a good front man? I'm not sure what that is, but that's personally me. This guy says Gigi Allen. Do you know who that is? Mm, sounds familiar. Look it up. No. He's this, oh my God, he's this crazy guy who goes into the crowd and starts just punching people. Look it up. Let me see who this is. Oh, Gigi Allen. Um, I think it might be one of a... Uh, in Carpathian Forest? No. No? Uh, maybe. No. <laughs> you know, I was thinking too. Carpathian Forest had a crazy front man. There's there's another crazy front man, one of those European metals, metal bands. They, they always had some great stuff, man. I don't know. But yeah, there's so many frontmans. You don't. Kind of hard to. Just to pick to, one, yeah. right? Now that I'm thinking, I'm like, God, Ozzy is a good one. Oh, yeah, I've seen this guy. This guy's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Put a little bit of audio on that. Yeah, that guy's crazy. What is going on? <laughs> Made out with a random crowd member. He's, He's naked. always nude. Fighting people. Yeah, this guy's not. <laughs> old school. It sounds like old school punk, too. Yeah. You know, the black metal community had great frontmen too with the shows that they put on. Like, you know, the sacrificing of like different animals. Well, they didn't really sacrifice animals, but you know, they cut open like yeah, blood point sure, everywhere. I'm pretty sure Bathory faked a sacrifice in Italy and they had to flee the country. Really? Because of the Vatican. Holy shit. <laughs> like that same night? They're like, we, we're. I, I'm pretty sure. Damn. If I remember correctly, I think they had to flee some country. Pretty sure it was Italy. And I don't want to say gore. Because it's not a front man, but that whole band is just a great persona when you see them live. Right. That's cool, too. Right. Everyone's covered in red red and purple blood at the end of the show. There's this other, uh, I guess it's like a crossover band. Have you ever heard of Ghoul? It's like this weird I've heard of them and never listened to them. They have like a, they wear like gunny sacks on their head. They look like uh, the Scarecrow from like Batman or something, but they all have the same kind of uniform type. Yeah. They have that same persona of like Gwar. They have a... At the last show that I went to, they had, like, a guy dressed as Kim Jong-un, and he just came out and was squirting blood, and he was fighting this robot. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Yeah. So that that in itself is awesome. Dang. Kevin. Hmm. I've been here for a while. Mm-hmm. been here for, like, an hour and a half. Nice. It's always good to talk, though. I mean, yeah, seriously. you got to come back. Yeah, definitely. we got to do this. Dude, I'm pretty sure we barely scratched the I, surface I know, of I this know. stuff. I only looked at two pages. How does this even, like, <laughs> this is amazing in, like, itself. Like, there's so much out there to know about the world, and we barely covered a, a, right. two pages of it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's weird. What's one thing that fascinates you right now in geology that you are, like, really, I don't know, because you could research so much things. There's so many different aspects in geology, correct? Uh, yeah. Um, What's one thing that fascinates you in this study? Well, the three things I like the most are mineralogy, crystallography, and mm. uh, plate tectonics. Okay. Crystallography is where you take a slice of a rock, a thin slice, you look it, at it underneath a microscope, and you determine what the fuck it's made out of by identifying each individual crystal. Okay. 
<clears throat> mineralogy is just a study of minerals. Minerals are fascinating. The, the fact that Earth creates these beautiful crystals blows my fucking mind. Because I've seen some of your posts, like yeah. on Facebook, and they there are some beautiful shit. Mm-hmm. Like wow, Op- opals are amazing. How does that even? That just blows my mind. And especially you'll never know. You know, you have this rock, mm-hmm. and it's just like crack it open, and it's this beautiful like. Like right. it looks like a like something off of like Wizard of Oz Emerald City or something. Right. It's amazing. And uh, I I used to dislike sedimentary rocks. I thought rocks were kind of boring in general. Studying it because the minerals were the interesting part because minerals compose rocks. But I ended up taking um, an Earth history class and a geology in New Mexico class in the past few years, and I found out the importance of sedimentary rocks. Sedimentary rocks are when sediments deposit layers over time, and time and pressure turn those into rocks. Well, those sedimentary rocks help determine the environment they were formed in. Would the so those rocks? Can you tell if the environment was changed? So, like, say if you found a sedimentary rock, and you're like, "Oh, look at it! Back then, the, mm-hmm. this yeah, is yeah, what." Yeah, if it you was. look at the rock re- record, you could see oh, there was an ocean at this point at this time, but now there's not anymore. Okay. The uh, the uh, top layer of the Sandia Mountains, that's limestone. Limestone is formed in deep oceans. Oh, so that <laughs> just that's in itself is showing how much that has risen up, right? And where it's at. Yeah. Yeah, I need to find that. Um, but the the layer directly underneath it is Sandia granite, and that's actually considered a bedrock uh, rock, which is like there's nothing underneath it. But it um, was formed like 1.5 billion years ago. I'm going to have to look through at this really quick. I don't know where the fuck it is. But anyways, the Sandia granite was uh, formed about 1.5 billion years ago. The... Uh, the limestone layer on top of it was formed about 500 million years ago. If if I remember correctly, it might be 1.25 billion and it's 250 million years old. But anyways, in between those two rock layers, there's a billion years of geologic time missing for whatever reason. Whoa. It got eroded away or the, uh, the Sandia granite layer just moved through the rock layers. It just pushed its way up. And for whatever reason, it didn't push up, to, didn't push through that limestone layer, and it just pushed it along with it. So it it, it made its way to the top, but once it got to the limestone area, it couldn't for, it couldn't go through that one yeah, for whatever reason, and it just pushed it along with it. Or like you said, there's just something missing, right? Or yeah, or there's just something missing. It just eroded away, and left the limestone layer there. Wow. Yes. What what would be something that could be missing? Something there, like some kind of. Well, there's... Something that erodes there, quickly. There had to have been, like, sandstone layers because it wasn't always an ocean, and there was oceans there before it, too, and after. Okay. Here in New Mexico. Nice. <laughs> One of the... That's awesome to think about, too. Yeah. Because you, you drive into New Mexico, and it's just, like, the most hottest desert land that you feel. I feel because I don't really... I've never been anywhere else in this fucking world. <laughs> but... Dude, this is a whole ocean. We freaking have whales swimming right across from us. Right, back yeah, in the the, day. New Mexico has had oceans over it several times. That's 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 so cool to think about. Cause now, like that could explain so much of our like some of the minerals and stuff that we have here, right? Like, if obviously, 
No, because it would be the same, right? I mean, if some things match from New Mexico, still are the same as like other four corner states, right? Like Arizona kind of has some exact things that we kind of have. Like, I don't know. Uh, do they have yeah. some rock formations that we kind of have, or like, do they do they have that kind of same Sandia mountain thing in their region? Like, did they have a mountain that was there? Not that, really, because those mountains were formed differently. Ah, see, that that's cool to think about, the Sandia too. Sandia Mountains were formed because the Rio Grande Rift is actually one of the most active rifts in the world right now. The only one more active is the one that's making the Red Sea bigger between Africa and the Middle East. So, here in America... It's it, one of the biggest, most active rifts in wow. the world. And it's just opening. It's just opening. Wow. And uh, so that slowly started opening... Um, it was because um, there's a flat slab through. Okay, first of all, ocean, there's oceanic crust and uh, continental crust. Okay, we're going to get into plate tectonics right now. Okay. And uh, oceanic crust has much more iron in it than continental crust, so it has higher density. Therefore, continental crust will always float on top of oceanic crust. Okay. They're, like, the oceans will never take over the continents, and there's not enough... Uh, the sea levels can't rise enough to ever overcome the continents. Because it, it's pretty much like a floaty. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The high, the, you know, like like a tossed salad. All the heavier, denser stuff is going to eventually go down to the bottom. Yeah. Same thing happens in geology. All right. And, uh, um, shit, I can't find that. But I'm pretty sure Sandia Grant's about 1.25 billion years old, and that limestone layer is 250 <laughs> million years old. Okay, so there's a big gap. So there's a billion years missing. So anyways, um, there's a theory that uh, there was a flat slab theory that there was um, an oceanic plate that got subducted underneath the North American plate, but it had a much uh, lower density than normal oceanic crust. So it was just barely underneath it. So it uh, prevented a lot of... See, see, when you subduct that, all that stuff, all the lighter elements, the less dense elements and materials they melt first and all that heat rises up and that's what causes volcanoes okay. and earthquakes because like when the slab goes underneath it the ocean plate the ocean plate slowly like rubs against the continental plate okay and when that continental plate gives way that's what causes earthquakes oh. you see so it's like dragging down and that's what's causing heat that's what's causing volcanoes to rise back up because heat rises and uh so anyway, the ocean, the flat slab theory is the oceanic plate was directly underneath the continental plate here in North America, and uh, it started slowly started uh, subducting way far inland. That's why the Rocky Mountains are formed so far inland. That's really rare for mountains to do. Oh, okay. To be formed so far inland in the middle of a continent. And like where we are located. Yeah, they usually happen where the oceanic plate is subducting right at, along the coastlines. So what are more correct mountains then? That should be like like some of the ones uh, towards north, like Wyoming and stuff like that. Like those are more like, like all the mountains along the California coast. Okay, those are more. Like those are like normal oceanic plates and oceanic subduction. But the flat slab theory is it started subducting way further inland, and uh, all that heat, uh, and uh, started rising. That's why there's so many volcanoes around here. 
There's earthquakes. They're very minor, but there's earthquakes happening in Socorro County all the time. Really? Yes. That's crazy. But people are saying, like, the only natural disasters we have to worry about are droughts in this area. Like, no, no. There's a bunch of volcanoes. Los Lunas Hill is a volcano. Tomei Hill is a volcano. They're dormant. Um, the Via Caldera in Temis, that's a super volcano that's active. What? It erupts every 50,000 years, and the last time it erupted was 40,000 years ago. So it's... Yes, that when it erupted, the ash layers mo- are uh, deposited beyond Louisiana. What? <laughs> yes. We're fucked if a super volcano goes off. There's one in Yellowstone. There's one here in Hemis. There's one in California. If any of those go off, we're fucked. The whole... The whole most of North America, like if if Mex if we flee to Mexico quickly enough, we can escape it. If Yellowstone goes off, okay. If Hemis goes off, we're done. We're fucked. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, the flat slab. <laughs> we're flat... all gonna be fine, people. <laughs> Don't worry about that. So the flat slab theory, like once that plate finally subjected completely, now there's just continental crust there. Okay. So the uh, the. Uh, I think the lithosphere is the surface, so the asthenosphere is the uh, the mantle, because we're we're just on the crust, we're just on the very thin layer. There's four layers: the inner core, outer core, the mantle, and the crust. Okay. And the crust is the equivalent to like skin on an apple. Thin. It's very thin. Okay. But it's it's hundreds of miles deep, and we we can't drill that far. We can't even get to the mantle. All our stuff, all our drills will melt by then, way before then. So the Rio Grande Rift was uh, created because the, the oceanic plate was all of a sudden gone and the asthenosphere started allowing heat to uh, reach New Mexico. That's why our uh, elevation is so high. The heat from the inner earth is making, is making the elevation rise. And that's weird in itself too, right? Because of where we're located. Mm-hmm. Like we should be a lot lower. Uh, I don't know if we should be, but like... That's just that's just how the world works. How art, yeah, yeah. Because that's you have a lot of like what fighting tra- fighting professions and stuff come here because of the way our altitude and our mm-hmm. atmosphere, the way that New Mexico is compared right. to everywhere yeah. else. Yeah, in... yeah. A lot of a lot of athletes train on top of the Sandias because they're ten thousand feet high. That's crazy. <laughs> that's so crazy. Because then they're just like we go to California and it's just like we're we're not even they're not even. Their breathing pattern, everything is like yeah. When I when I go to sea down to the sea level, I have so much energy. I I never have hangovers, no matter how much I drink. <laughs> That's crazy to think about. And then you see other people there are just like, well, I'm so tired. Mm-hmm. All I did was kind of run down the blocks. Like right, imagine right. if you were in New Mexico, like it's a little more intense. Right. I think I think it's Bolivia. Their elevation is so high that they have to chew on coca leaves to help them breathe. What? Yeah. Just to breathe? Yeah, just to help them breathe and deal with that high elevation because we didn't evolve to live in that high elevation. So is it just like what, making sure that their heart and everything uh, is pumping correctly? Mm-hmm. Just making sure they get more oxygen, really. All right. Because the higher the elevation, the, the less, less oxygen yeah. there is. But anyways, the Rio Grande Rift, it's it's a fault boundary, so it's a divergent boundary. Convergent boundaries slam into each other, and uh, since they're both continental crust and the same density the only way they can go is up that's what happened to mount everest the indian plate india slammed into the uh, the asian plate 
and that's what's causing the Himalayas, okay. Mount Everest, to uh, to rise. It's still rising every year, actually. It's still growing. That's crazy. And uh, so here in this Rio Grande, Grande Rift, we're in a divergent boundary, and a transform boundary is when you slide together. That's what the San Andreas Fault is. Okay. When people say that breaks apart and Los Angeles and California is going to sink into the ocean, no, it's not. It's continental crust. It's okay. going to always float on top of the ocean. The sea levels rising is what's going to take it out. Okay, so but it's still going to be continental crust. It'll still be. It won't. It, it like, won't sink into the ocean. And the way people think is like it's going to break apart and float away and sink because yeah. it's not connected to the mainland anymore. Well, then why are the Hawaiian Islands around? Okay. Yeah. See, <laughs> why are the Philippines around? Any island? Why any is there island? Any yeah. <laughs> That is so crazy. <laughs> I love that too. Speaking of islands, I mean, we're already going into watery territory, but um, have you heard that the China builds man-made islands in the South uh, China Sea? Yeah, Dubai has uh, terraformed a lot of islands out there too. That's crazy to think about that they're just uh, making islands now. Mm-hmm. Well, because they have, they know how it's done. Mm-hmm. Like they literally are doing exactly what you just. Inf- yeah, like, yeah. You just need sand, which is mainly silica dioxide, which is quartz crystal. That's what that's made made out of. You just need those light, low density materials that stay afloat. Yeah, and there's sand everywhere. It's very abundant. That's awesome. But anyways, the Rio Grande Rift, it's a divergent boundary. It's moving away from each other, and it's making a basin. And basins are where sediments are deposited because it's just a giant hole, and all the erosion from the mountains and the West Mesa are just filling it up. And uh, it's what's called a half graben. A full graben is when mountains are formed on both sides. Okay. But a half graben is when mountains are only formed on one side. That's why we only have the East Mountains and the flat West Mesa. And they still do that that thing where when they move, they all the sediment and deposits are still going into that area. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. And that's going to form into something. Yeah, that's eventually, eventually going to form sedimentary rocks. All right. That's crazy. See, that's so cool to know that just in our little state alone, we have so much diversity. Yeah, this is a great state for geology. See, nobody thinks that. They think this is like, oh, great, I'm in New Mexico. I live in New Mexico. And don't get me wrong, there are some aspects of New Mexico that do probably are dull for some people. But you just have to find your entertainment. Right. That's all it is to it. Right. Ah, that was awesome. Yeah. Um, so we've uh, probably well, reached the end here. Can I talk about one more, one last thing? Talk about whatever you want. I've been waiting so, for you to talk. I, <laughs> I keep, the, I keep yeah. bringing up the topics. So um, I wanted to talk about South Park. Okay. And how it's one of the most intelligent shows on television. Close. I'm just kidding. It is. It's just like all the negative criticism is they focus on the vulgarity, the uh, the shock humor, the shock value, and the dick and fart jokes. Okay. They focus on that. Put that all aside. Their uh, social commentary and their satire is one of the best out there. It's on point. It's on point. They make fun of every single aspect of every single topic they talk about, every single side, and it's great. It's it's so intelligent, and like I love those guys. They're Matt, Tra- Matt Stone, Trey Parker. They're amazing writers. I love how they put their aspect too. It's like um, they do have a storyline that's going on. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but for the past what three seasons, maybe four, they've been focusing more on a Randy stance. You know, and, Rand- yeah, they have the overarching storyline throughout the season. I love that. Too. That's so amazing because they even I was watching an interview where they're like, "We've been portraying Randy more because that's how we feel we are turning into now. We are we were Stan and Marsh, 
when we or first Stan and Kyle Stan and Kyle when we first started to uh, create South Park but yeah, now that then, we're getting yeah, older I saw something where they they were they said they were they felt like they were Stan and Kyle but then they slowly both turned into Cartman but now they feel old and they're slowly turning into Randy yeah <laughs> I love how that aspect is too because yeah. you see the story arc going into that because mm-hmm. like I mean the whole thing yeah, and you see their reflections on how they feel about the show ever since season 15 they've been saying like we're tired of this i think they changed that and did the overarching storyline just to keep things fresh to renew renew the romance oh you think so yeah so they just since season 15 they've been saying we're kind of tired of this and they've been doing other stuff they've been releasing video games they released that awesome musical that i want to see more uh the book of mormon oh you still haven't seen it no i haven't seen it either no but... they've been they've been doing a lot of other stuff just right. besides <laughs> just... guys uh they're asking you do you know the band of mantra yeah dvda dvda yeah Double vaginal, double anal. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, their band does there a lot of the original music on their shows and movies. Really? Yeah. Nice. I have to check that out. Because I actually want to bring that element to the podcast, too. Is like if I have like a guest musician or something, be like, hey, man, throw like give us a like good five-minute clip of what you do or like play us something for five minutes. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. But that's so, cool. See, the, the, the crowd wants to know more. Yeah, so like, yeah, I've always loved that show since day one. Um I I I met my friend Alex, one of my best friends, because of South Park, because it came out when I was ten, so it was about like fifth or sixth grade, and uh, I I noticed he had a South Park hat on, and I was like, wow, someone else watches this show. Like I've tried to talk to other kids about it. We're ten years old. Yeah. Our, most parents won't allow us to watch that. It's not my dad introduced me to that show at ten, nice. and. Uh, so he had the South Park hat on, and we started talking, and he was like one of the only, only other students whose parents allowed him to watch that. And uh, we just like hit it off from there, and I'm still close to him to this day, thankfully. I really, really treasure his friendship. Shout out to Alex. There you go, man. <laughs> hey, you should ask him if he wants to be on the podcast. Oh, definitely. I'll let him know. But uh, one, one episode of South Park actually made me fucking cry legitimately tell me legitimately it was a uh, season five the the episode is called you're getting old it was when stan turns 10 years old he becomes a cynical asshole and everything is shitty everything sounds shitty everything tastes shitty and uh and uh he's just like pissed off at everything and uh his parents end up like talking how like they're unhappy and it, it was really the creators of the show, when his parents have that discussion, that argument at the very end of the episode, it's the creators of the show telling the audience, we're, kind, we're getting tired of this. Like, it's, it's the same thing over and over again. Crazy storyline, and by the end of the week, next week, everything resets. And it's just getting crazier and crazier and out of fucking control. And uh, um, they ended up getting divorced, and... Uh, <laughs> yeah, what's his name? Stevie Stevie Nicks' song "Landslide." Landslide starts playing, yeah. and I fucking lost it <laughs> because when I was nine years old, my parents got divorced, and uh, I went through. I knew exactly what Stan was going through. Okay, I became a cynical asshole after that. I became an atheist after that. I was never really into religion to begin with. I just found if I found out about the concept of atheism earlier, I would have been an atheist. 
but I was just so disinterested and so ignorant to it that I just didn't really explore other options. But uh, I knew exactly what Stan was going through, and I just fucking lost it. That's crazy. Because <laughs> that, that's how awesome that show is. It's like it can portray real-life situations that has happened to mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was the first time the creators of the show mentioned that they kind of, they're getting tired of this. And it's like, it's one of my favorite shows. I grew up with it. I, like, coming to terms with the show ending one day, I ne- it never crossed my mind until that scene. So just everything culminated into <laughs> Stevie Nicks' song Landslide playing at the end, and I just fucking lost it. I can see that. I totally can see that. Because, again, you don't... Something you grew up with, mm-hmm. you see it happening, mm-hmm. they portrayed it to you, you're just like, fuck, I yeah. lived that. Right, and I felt so much better afterwards, you know, and um, it was therapeutic in a way. I never thought South Park <laughs> would affect me like that. It's a very enlightening experience. You know what I feel is like, I, I don't want to bash on my parents because like I honestly didn't have the best childhood growing up, but I feel like I learned more through pop culture than I did through my parents. I remember one of my favorite quotes from Malcolm in the Middle when he goes and meets his cousin. He's like, hey, man, if you're afraid to look stupid, you might not have any fun. Little stupid shit like that has kept with me more than my parents telling me, like, you do a good job, which was very rare. And that's kind of shitty to think about is because, like, I see my life as Kenny because, like, you know, my parents really they had so many kids to deal with. They had they they really couldn't focus on one kid you know they they mm-hmm. couldn't be like how are you doing today or how is going on in school you know how are you blah 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 it was always just like dinner's ready we're all gonna go out you know it was kenny's life and i love that aspect of the show too because there was some times where kenny was just trying his hardest to be a good person right but then he got fucked over by being poor and that was just like what the fuck yeah yeah it's, it's easier to relate when instead of people your parents like it's hard it's hard to when you're young, you don't understand how much wisdom they have. You don't understand why they're telling you the things they're telling you. Yeah. You know, and as you grow older, you start appreciate appreciating them more and more, appreciating family more and more, appreciating all the wisdom, all the stories, all the uh, everything, all the they're protecting us. You know, you you understand that much better as you grow older. It's weird. And, like, you you know, you get you, everyone gets into a rebellious stage as a teenager. Everyone loses their fucking mind for a few years there. It's weird. It is mm-hmm. weird. I don't know. I feel, but pop culture in general has really helped me in my life. Yeah, yeah it's helped me, too. Same thing with, like, South Park. There's been so many scenes where I'm just, like, there's a... Uh, I love, have you remember the episode uh, where they have the counter of the shit? Where they count how many times they yeah. said shit? Yeah. Do you remember the end of the episode? At the end of the episode, Stan, like, says something, like, motivational, but it's all bleeped out. Yes. It's, like, all just, like, beep. Right. That's how much we try in life to listen to everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, we should listen. We should listen. He's telling something important. Mm-hmm. And literally, you should take your own opinion, not what Stan said, not what right. somebody in a higher political power says. Don't do yourself. You make your own choices. And Yeah, look for strength within yourself you could you could that's, oh. that's what i like black metal had that message uh since day one especially when it comes to religion find that strength within yourself you don't need out you don't need imaginary friends in the sky looking after you yeah god isn't going to do a fucking thing for you you need to do things for you 
That one episode of Futurama when Bender became a god and then he met God. Yeah, there you go. And, yeah, and then God sends him back to uh, Fry and Leela, and they're like, uh, they have those monks trapped in the, the closet, and Fry and Leela are like, ah, oh, whatever, they'll be fine. They're, they'll just pray to their God, and he'll help them. And Bender's like, no, fuck that. God is going to do a damn thing. I just talked to him. I was God. I, I was God. I, we need to help them, because no one else is going to help them. Yeah. And then it goes back to God, as he's like portrayed as a, like a galaxy or whatever, and he's laughing. Uh, when you do things right, people will see, people will think you haven't done anything at all. And that's true. It's like, oh, Futurama, their messages, they, they hit you in the feels too. <laughs> I love, okay, this is another thing. You, I love how we're just straying off into another hour of conversation. <laughs> but here is uh, The Simpsons, right? The Simpsons portrayed so much of the future. What has Futurama done? Right. Dude, who knows? What if they're like the exact replica of what's going to happen? Like... There's so many cool things to think about, like just the way that they portray the future. And we already see it nowadays. Like, you know, there's some things coming out with like virtual reality or like the way we can like super travel really fast, like hyper or what are those like speed trains or whatever that like yeah. in Japan yeah. and China and shit like yeah, that. St Stanley Kubrick was really good at that. 2001 A Space Odyssey predicted a lot of stuff. Video screen calling. That's weird. Touch screens. Yeah. Where did we get uh, that? Siri. How did we Ro get talking that? to robots? <laughs> How? Yeah. How does that happen? Right. Like now. Well, it's because kids see that, and then they become engineers and scientists, and they want to replicate that. See, but that's scary. So we here's a stupid example. We see the Terminator. We want right. to replicate the Terminator. Right. Well, that's 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 a negative dystopian <laughs> view of things. <laughs> but what if we see it as like the way they saw it in the beginning? Let's make a Terminator to help the world. And like, right. do we have iRobots where it's like, yeah, they are a personal assistants right, and right. they are they do help us until mm -hmm. we get to the point where we're at the Terminator state and they have their own right thinking thoughts. Like that's so. why I love Star Trek so much because it's one of the few sci-fi storylines franchises whatever that portray the future in a positive way we fixed all our problems okay there's no more war there's no more poverty there's no more money we're all just working for the better good we're exploring space because we can okay you See, know we I, got rid of disease you know all that that's sick i didn't know i'm not a really big trekkie but i like that's awesome it's a very positive uh, aspect and out view and uh, outlook on humanity's future, and um, Gene Roddenberry actually used that out, uh, outlet to uh, talk about social problems in our current society. But he portrayed it in the future and had aliens deal with it, so it just wasn't so blatantly in your face. Okay, because it would turn turn people off. Yeah, I would be weirded out too if it was just that kind of aspect. Right. Yeah, but I see what you're saying. That's one of those mind-blowing things again. See, and that's so much knowledge coming from pop culture. Mm -hmm. That's that's amazing in itself because don't get me wrong, we can go to a, a regular go go to go watch a lecture, go listen to a professor, but seeing I don't know, I want to see like a reenactment or a movie that is credible, you're just like, "Holy shit, that's awesome. I should see the research in that." And you go look at it, you were more introduced because of the way the movie portrayed it than some guy standing there telling you how it was done. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the beauty of time now is like people were learning back then and they just sat there and learned from a lecture or some teacher that was teaching you. Now we can learn from like 
Like I can I can watch a lecture with Hey Arnold saying the whole thing. He can be doing the whole lecture himself. Right. And it's appealing to me because of the person that it is. Mm-hmm. The visuals are awesome. So mm-hmm. I'm learning in my aspect, which is that's why I don't get why people are stupid nowadays. It's like right. you have the ability to learn anything and everything at the fucking snap of your finger if you wanted to. Right. We have all the knowledge throughout human history is in our smartphones, but we use it to argue with each other. About stuff that is incredible. Yeah. And look at cat videos. Yeah, cat videos. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. Cats are amazing. Are you related to Bill Hicks? (laughs) (laughs) That's what they're asking. No. Not to my knowledge. Nope. You know, we all are culturally diverse, so (laughs) who knows? Who knows? Why do they say that? Because I look like him? That's all they said. Is is Kevin related to Bill Hicks? That's it. Am I just spewing his philosophy? (laughs) (laughs) Let us know in the comments. (laughs) Some uh, another commenter said it's what should it's what humans should already have evolved into, but dot dot dot. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. and that's sad to think about too. It's like. Everything that I've in our conversation now, I'm going to take into like, that's cool. I listened to Kevin and I learned some things instead of it being like, great. Now we had Kevin on. Let's have the next person on. Like, right. It's it's an experience that everyone should accommodate to. Like, right, no matter yeah. what you do. Yeah, I'm looking forward to coming back. You should, man. You really should. Because we're just I'm trying to do this every weekend. So if anything, we could have you back in two weeks. All right. Get get a couple more guests under our belt. Talk more geology because right. you have a lot to talk about, right, man. Yeah. You have so much. I, I we went into the Sphinx and then got into that erosion and we went into space. Started talking about music, which everybody missed in the right, beginning. Right. Another thing about the Sphinx when it was first discovered recently in modern times or whatever, it was buried. It, it was buried. Yeah, all you saw was a head. Yeah, that's a fucking mind blowing. Like it takes time for it for that sand to move and freaking bury it. <laughs> that's. Stay woke, people. <laughs> Thanks again for joining. You guys are awesome. Kevin, we have to have you back. We're doing this All again. Right. Um, Egyptologists are snobs. <laughs> you know, there's a lot out there, people. Make sure to come. Make sure to tune back in. We will be back at 3 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. We got some cosplay groups coming in, and we'll have some fun. So thanks again, Kevin. Thank you, man. I got to do this again. Q us out. <laughs>